The, today's scripture is from 1 Peter 3, verses 13 to 17. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your own hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Well, first I want to say what a wonderful Easter season we've just come through. Uh, I personally, my heart was so blessed to be here on Good Friday, and the service uh, on Good Friday was such a meaningful experience. And then to be back on uh, Easter Sunday and to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and to hear some impactful testimonies was uh, just a delight. Well, this morning uh, we return to our study of First Peter, and we have come to the third chapter of First Peter, uh, starting to open the text at uh, verse 13. So First Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. I, I think probably that everybody sitting in the gym today uh, has, a, um, has a sense of what it feels like to be treated unfairly. I, j- I just would think so. I just would think so. And, and if you really start to consider it, you've had some situation that didn't go very well and you somehow became the target of unfairness. I remember taking a summer course uh, years ago called uh, Human Geography at the University of Calgary. It was a sociology course, and we were given an examination halfway through the uh, course, and for some reason the instructions were not absolutely clear in the exam. And so at the end of the day there was a torrent of protest against the summer lecturer And he invited uh, each one of us to come into his office to pick up our exam and to ask him any questions. I remember sitting outside his office, and I remember a couple of gals being in the office just prior to my going in. And I think they stirred up the professor, because he was in a very foul mood when it was my turn to go in. So I blame it all on them. And uh, I became the target of his pent-up wrath. He unloaded on me for whatever had happened in this exam and the mechanics, and I left his office feeling like, whoa, what did I do to deserve all that stuff that he just threw at me? I felt it was very unfair. Never, uh, it wasn't a life-altering experience and didn't shape my personality for years to come, but I just remember at the time, that was unfair. Throughout life, we have many of those situations that come at us, and we're left to consider how we're going to respond. And don't we say to our kids, uh, who said life would always be fair? We tell our kids that often. At least we used to do that. They'd come to us and say, Mom, Dad, this is just not fair. And our response would be, and who said life was supposed to be fair? And when you think of it, it really is not a very satisfying answer 
for an eight-year-old or a 15-year-old. I mean, grump, 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 life's not fair. They want a different answer, like fix it. We do want life to be fair. Yes, we want the good guys to always win. We want to write the final chapter boldly. The good guys won again, and the bad guys got trounced soundly. That's how the story should always end. The only problem with that scenario is it's not real life. And it only happens that way sometimes, but not always. We still get the newspaper in real paper form. And, uh, you know, every day I'm just kind of chucking through it. And page after page after page every day in the newspaper, tragedy upon tragedy, the newspaper tells the story of the lives of people. And nine times out of ten, it seems unfair, the things that have happened. This has been the week of the maiden voyage of the Titanic. A hundred years ago, I'm almost titanic out with all the news coverage. I mean, but it has been a tragedy of massive proportion a hundred years ago. Whatever the cause of hitting that iceberg in the North Atlantic, for many, I'm sure, on board, this was unfair. This was unfair that our family should be taken. When life is unfair... You can stand back and you can view it from one of two perspectives. You can look at it from a personal perspective, a human perspective, and say, well, they're not going to get away with this, you know. I've heard it said even, even recently, I will spend the rest of my days on this planet getting justice. I will start to crusade for this thing in life and I will make it my mission throughout life so that at the end of the day, we will have justice. And if you take that perspective, well, you'll get a lot of support from our world and from literature and from books, even from counselors. It's time to stand up for yourself. It's time for justice. It's time to get even. And it may come true. It may come true that you do get even. It may happen that you secure justice. But the thing that probably will not happen is that you'll not find peace in your heart, nor will your actions necessarily glorify God. There's another way to look at the unfairness of life, and that's from God's vantage point. It's actually the perspective of verse 12 of chapter 3. I just have you, if, you're, if you have your Bibles open, chapter uh, 3 verse 12 where it says the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and his ears are open to their prayers isn't that a good verse let me say it again uh, where it, the, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and his ears are open to their prayers uh, I would say that maybe even in your lifetime you will not discover all the whys of life. Why did this happen? Why the injustice? You may find out, but on the other hand, you may never find that out, this side of heaven. You might ask the question, well, why does God leave this situation go on for so long and so long and so long? He could stop this. He could change it. I just don't get it. 
And perhaps one response is, like someone has put it, because God doesn't close his books at the end of every month. He doesn't. Just because we don't see the answers now doesn't mean that God isn't in control. But if we fail to simply trust God with the situation, and uh, we just grow older and older and older, and all those years go by, without the peace of God in our hearts, and worse yet, growing more cynical as the years go by, as we step into our senior years, and we're just bitter and hard to be around. How tragic. So what we have here in these verses is just, I think, some amazing scriptural input that tells us how to deal with the unfairness of life. Do we ever need these verses? Oh, if you don't need them right now, Just be patient. You may need them later. How are you going to respond when you get smacked around in your heart, in your life? Who knows where that bullet's going to come from? You can't predict it. And suddenly you're sprawling on the floor, dazed from the blow. When you get up, what are you going to do? Are you going to choose the human perspective? The human response? Or are you going to ask God, okay, how should I respond to this? Are you going to get up and grab the person by the throat and teach them the best of your karate moves? Or is there another way? Well, Peter gives us a number of ways to respond when life just isn't fair. But just before he gives us some tremendous insight on how to respond, he states a generalized truth in verse 13. And I want us to notice that generalized truth, first of all, because I think it's kind of, it kind of sets the stage for what's to come. The New Living Translation. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? You see that line? Who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? Now, in life, that's a truth that generally works. Remember the context of these early Christians that they're being persecuted and Peter knows it and his words to them are words of encouragement, some hope that he's trying to give them. Generally, he says to them that if you live your life doing good, you probably won't get a lot of resistance. So this is a very pragmatic response. It's true for us today. If we live our lives in the city of Edmonton and we live good lives, Generally, we'll be well appreciated and we won't have a lot of persecution or even difficulties. If you pay your debts, the banks will leave you alone. If you drive the speed limit, the the police will leave you alone. If you take care of your yard, the neighbors will leave you alone. If you stay sexually pure, you will avoid disappointment and jealousy and All kinds of complications in life. If you're kind to your friends, your friends will appreciate you. If you watch your diet and exercise, generally your body will treat you well and you get the idea. You get the idea. You won't have the negative consequences if you simply make good choices in life. If you're eager to do good. Ah, but what happens when there are exceptions to the general rule of of life. Treat somebody well, and they'll probably treat you well back. What happens when you treat somebody well, however, and they treat you unfairly? They're miserable to you. 
They're cantankerous with you. They're difficult with you. They're obnoxious with you. Peter's going to help us with the exception. Look at verse 14 and underscore a little two-letter word. It's the key to this verse. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. A little two-letter word is if. The implication is that it may not always, might not always happen, but it could happen. Even if you should suffer, there's a chance you might, might suffer even when you have done everything right. What if that happens? So can I give you five responses this morning from the hand of Peter? And the first response is, be happy. You, you might not even want to write that one down. Be happy? Ah, what? That doesn't make sense. But here it is, that even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Reminds us of the words of James chapter 1 verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. It's the very same word as used by Jesus in Matthew 5.10, the Sermon on the Mount. Remember those words? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. That is not easy to understand. I think it must be more experiential than cognitive because intellectually, it's not easy to get. Uh, intellectually, we make a face with those statements saying, yeah, come on. But when you actually go through persecution, when you actually go through slander and mistreatment, and you know in your heart that you are being falsely accused, there is a sense of blessing happiness, peacefulness, that you are walking with God, that you experience peace in your heart, that you are blessed, you are joyful, because your heart is right with God, and you are not knocked for a loop because of the criticism. Paul Cedar writes, Indeed, we are called to the marvelous ministry of retaliating with blessings. Not good. And as we do, we will be blessed of God regardless of the response of the other persons. We are blessed people. Now, if a police officer pulls you over and gives you a speeding ticket because you were speeding, it's not a big deal that you accepted the ticket because you were speeding. And the treatment is, the punishment is just. It's another thing when a police officer pulls you over and you take that ticket patiently and without mouthing off and you didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. And you say, my rights were violated. But that's what makes a Christian distinctive. Now, I could be misunderstood with that illustration. I'm not suggesting there isn't a place for reason and dialogue and saying, Mr. Police Officer, you have to be reasonable about this and be nice to him and say, here's what was really happening. But at the end of the day, when it is what it is what it is, 
You have a speeding ticket that you didn't deserve. That's incredible. And it makes you stand out as one who is quite distinctive when you respond in the proper way. When you receive it graciously, you have done right. And it may not be this illustration, of course, but it may be, well be something similar that comes to visit you one day. I read verse 14 in the New Living Translation, and it comes out like this. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. God will reward you for it. These things are not forgotten. This event will be rewarded. The reward might come in this lifetime, or it might not come in this light, lifetime. But it's just the promise of God. That's what it says. He doesn't forget God will reward you for it, for being a distinctive follower of His. So number one, maybe you can write it down now, be happy, be blessed. Look from God's viewpoint. Secondly, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Here's what Peter says. Do not fear when they, what they fear. Do not be frightened. The New Living Translation, don't worry or be afraid of their threats. This is a word to these early believers. Don't be intimidated by the people around you. Don't be filled with fear and worry about what's going to happen. And the word for fear in this verse is the word from which we get our word phobia. It implies fleeing or avoiding something. The background of uh, Peter's call to avoid panic and worry lies in Isaiah chapter 8 verses 12 to 13 where the Lord called on his people Israel to turn away from fear and dread of the opposing nations. And God gave a clear word to, to his people back in those days to, that they need not be filled with anxiety and fear, even though the nations around them seem so imposing. This morning, uh, if you're following the, uh, the, the, the reading program that uh, many of us are a part of, the reading this morning was about David and Goliath. And, uh, you know, and really knowing that uh, David wasn't afraid of Goliath, wasn't afraid of the Philistines, went in the power of God to meet that difficult situation. He wasn't afraid because God gave him the courage to stand up in that particular situation. And God does that for us. He puts a calmness in our hearts. He puts a peace in our hearts. I remember this, the second sermon I preached in my life. I was, I was 18 years old. I was asked to bring the message at an evening service where there were about 200 people uh, present. And Marg and I were dating. Uh, she probably remembers all the ginger ale that I drank in the afternoon waiting for the evening service. I was just... So absolutely nervous. Honestly, I was just, I was beside myself. I was nervous when I walked up onto the platform. And I'd been praying for God to give me the peace that, that I needed so that I could say something intelligent and, and be able to say it as well as I could. And, you know, it, it was when I got to the platform and I sat down about five minutes before the, the message that a strange and wonderful peace came into my heart. It was amazing peace, so much so that I can just still remember it to this day. And it, it just sort of was so affirming and so encouraging. And when it came time to speak, all those fears were gone. 
my phobias were gone and he gave me a liberty to be able to, to speak. And that's what God does in the difficult situations of life when we go through them, when we lose a loved one. I've watched with prayerful interest as three of our ladies at TCC have been widowed in the past month. They're all here this morning. Sheila, Stella, and Doreen. And they all have a beautiful peace in the midst of their personal suffering. And that's what God does. And that's who God is in our lives. And Peter says, do not fear. Do not be frightened. Don't be afraid. God is with you. The third response when treated unfairly is to acknowledge Christ as Lord. New International Version says in verse 15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord or set apart Christ as Lord. The New Living Translation puts it, instead you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. You know, I think the third response may indeed be the, the heart of all of the other responses. Because when you come to the real crisis moments, crisis moments of life, how do you respond? You can be filled with fear or you can be filled with the peace of God, the strength of God, knowing that, that he's the Lord of this event. Bob Teske comes to my mind often when I think of the crisis that, that he faced in his life when his wife Hazel and himself were involved in a car accident some 15 years ago that claimed Hazel's life and sent Bob to the hospital with a very broken body. But you know, in the midst of that crisis, there was a peace about this whole situation that was marvelous. In the midst of crisis, there was, there was strength and there was grace and there was peace and the ability to be able to, to move through it. And when we come to those tough moments, we have to pray even on the go. Lord, you're with me right now. Control my emotions. Lord, here we are. I haven't got time to really think about it, but be the Lord of my life right now. Be the Lord in this situation. Be the master of this moment. And we have the ability to call upon him and just immediately commit it to his lordship. And although we feel totally helpless, we can set apart Christ in our hearts as Lord. Remember Stephen when he was stoned? Remember he endured such rage by the Jewish leaders? But, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, remember he gazed into heaven and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, he said, I see heaven opened and I see the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And that only made them more furious. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge this against them. And with that he died. Talk about the master of the moment and submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Think what he could have said. Think what would have been so natural to say. And look at what he said. Set apart Christ as Lord, Lord of your life, and Lord of everything that passes your way. Friends, when we come to those very tough, tough moments, those crisis moments of life, when we know that life is unfair, come declaring the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. Come saying, Lord, you know this moment. You know how this works out. I don't. And, and I love you. 
I know you love me. So be the master, be the Lord of this event and come and take control and give me what I need to face this and to walk through it. Acknowledge Christ as Lord. And then there's a fourth response that Peter gives us when life is unfair. And here it is. Be ready to give a reason for your hope in Christ. Always be ready to give a reason for your hope in Christ. The New International Version says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Listen, but do this with gentleness and respect. The word answer or defense uh, is, a, is the word apologia, from which we get our English word apologetics. Paul used that word when he made his defense to King Agrippa in Acts 25. Apologetics simply means to give reasons or a rationale for what you believe or for what you're communicating through your lifestyle. To give a reason for, for why you are what you are and for expressing the truth and convictions that you're expressing. I know, I'm sure, that many of you would love to take a course or two in apologetics. And my hope, my dream one day is that, that at TCC we'd be able to offer a, a, a list of courses that would be helpful to all of us in, in our journey. Some apologetic courses, some New Testament courses or Old Testament courses, and just like a mini Bible school, so to speak, but to, to be able to give us some real strategic input uh, for a Christian journey. Peter was fascinated to really think about these early followers of Christ that they would be able to make a huge impact upon their community by sharing what Christ was doing in their hearts. Outwardly, they had little reason for hope. But because Christ was living in them, they were displaying hope. And so Peter catches that and he says, you know, you're, you're, you're showing hope as you walk among your persecutors. And don't forget to give a reason for the hope that you have. I read this story this week of a businessman who had come to faith in Jesus Christ and he didn't understand very much yet about the Christian faith and he, he was trying to keep it all a big secret that he had come to know Christ. And finally he said to his little small group that he'd become a part of, isn't it possible to live the Christian life in secret? And he he asked that because people were seeing changes in his life. And they were wondering what was going on. They were asking him for a reason because kind of subtly his life was changing. And one of his wise friends said, Friend, it is impossible for you to have Jesus living within you without some of him leaking out. Without some of him leaking out. That's exactly what Peter is teaching. Allow the joy and the love and the peace and the hope of Jesus Christ to leak out of your life. And when it happens, be ready to give an answer to those who ask you about it. What is happening in your life? What's going on in your life? You handled that so well. You handled that situation. How did you do it? I would have obliterated the guy on the spot. But when God touches your life, you're different. Be ready to give an answer.
And when you respond, it's how you say it, perhaps as much as what you say. Give your response graciously, respectfully, not arrogantly, not pridefully, but kindly. And when you come through an experience in life where life is not fair, and yet you choose to take the high road in saying, my strength is in Christ alone. I don't have that strength in myself, but Jesus has been so good to me. And he keeps supplying me. And you find a way to say that. You find a way to say that. What an important thing to take the spotlight off of personal achievement and simply putting it onto Christ as the one who is providing you with what you need. How you say it is so important. I'm just kind of hooked again on these hockey playoffs. It's hard to just, you know, you're just following a little. You don't get the whole game, but it's been fun to watch it. Oh, that series, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, is the absolute best. I mean, you, uh, you don't need to tune in, but boy, you're missing a great hockey game if you don't see that series going on. But you know when they interview them afterwards? It's great. They've taught their players how to do an interview. And they don't say, yeah, I was pretty good tonight, wasn't I? No, no, they never say that. They say, man... I am so glad to be part of a group of guys that just put it all on the line. Uh, we've, we've got a great team here. They deflect to the coach. They deflect to other players. You know, and we can point to Christ authentically and honestly and say, Wow, without Christ in my life, I would fall so flat on my face. But He is there. And I am so grateful. He's the one that's making the difference in my life. Be be ready to give a reason for your hope. And then the fifth response is, keep a good conscience. Keep a clear conscience. Verse 16, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Uh, A good conscience or... Put it another way, a life of integrity. A life of integrity. Live a life of integrity. It's so important on two fronts. One, personally, we know in our hearts when we're on the mark with Jesus Christ. If we pretend to be on the mark, but we're not really on the mark with Christ, we know it inside. We know it. And we lose our edge. And we lose our confidence. Secondly, when we live lives of integrity, it sends such a good signal to the people who are opposing us that it brings shame to them. They know what they're doing, and it actually works against them. How vain to take advantage of someone to slander them when, when we know they're actually walking in integrity. And so Peter is saying it's a helpful thing for people to come up against their shame. This guy is walking in integrity and I'm blowing him out of the water with my accusations? Peter's intent is that this may be the thing that turns them around. So to conclude and just to back up for a moment. There is a general principle. It's stated back in verse 13. And it generally works. If you're eager to do good, people respond to that 99.9 times out of 100. Harm doesn't come your way if you are faithful to do what is good and right and walk with God. 
But there are exceptions, and there are times when life is simply unfair. Life might be unfair because someone else is cruel, or life might be unfair and because we can't even explain why something happened. It may have nothing to do with people. And But my life was changed by the event, the accident, the situation, whatever, whatever, whatever. My life was changed by the event. When that happens, Peter encourages us to, number one, be happy. Know there is a reward when you do right. It's not a martyr complex. You don't retaliate. But you're blessed. You're blessed when you're persecuted. There's a sense of amazing peace that comes into your heart. Second, don't panic or be intimidated. God will meet you in the crises of life. And he will sustain you and strengthen you and give you amazing peace. It happens over and over and over again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, acknowledge Christ as Lord of every situation. Set apart Christ in your heart and declare him to be the Lord of your, of your crisis. And fourthly, don't forget to give a reason for the hope that you have. It's powerful, especially when people see how you are handling life in a crisis. It's powerful. And then number five, live a life of integrity. Keep a clear conscience. It will strengthen you and it will work to impact those who are making life miserable for you. It will bring shame to them. And maybe that will bring them to Christ. That's the good part of that. Maybe it will bring them to Christ.